Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey, everyone. Joining me on today's show is Haley Carter. Haley is one of the most decorated college tennis players in the past decade, earning All-American honors seven times and holding the number one ranking in singles and doubles simultaneously during her career at North Carolina. Haley went on to reach number 25 in the WTA doubles rankings before returning to college coaching at Vanderbilt for two years. A few weeks ago, it was announced that Haley would return to her alma mater as an assistant coach. I'm excited to have Haley on to break down that decision, how the assistant role impacts college tennis, and of course, touch on some of her career highlights. Haley, thanks so much for coming on and welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to be here. So this has been a pretty busy summer for you. I know last week you were in Dallas since you are coaching the USTA Collegiate Summer Team. What has that experience been like for you? And why did you decide to throw your hat in the ring for that gig? Yeah, I actually, um, I did it last year as well and did it a little bit more maybe last year. This year's been a little chaotic with the move. Um But it's it's one of the most exciting elements of me is that transition from college to pro tennis because I actually um, I've talked with some of the girls I don't know if I did it the best to be honest during my Mm. my playing career I took a break uh, one year after college and I actually coached at Oklahoma State for that period of time and I think I did it because I was unsure of how to navigate it and what to do and all of those things because there actually weren't that many high level high ranked players on the women's side at that time it was kind of pre Danielle rising up pre all the things you see right now um, so I love that and I love going to pro tournaments and I think they're my comfort spot. Um, so I, I enjoy it. And the, the girls this year are doing unbelievably. Um, Mary made the semis of Dallas. Um, Chloe's been consistently qualifying. So they've got a lot of potential. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of the, the more interesting things that it's great to see the USTA support that throughout the summer. You mentioned that transition to the pro tour. If you could kind of snap your fingers and impart maybe one or two piece of pieces of advice on both the players that are on the summer team, but just players in general who are making that transition to the pro tour, uh, what would those pieces of advice be? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll give you two quick tidbits. Uh, one would be to play over the summers, which I, I had some injuries through college, so it wasn't necessarily feasible, but but playing and getting your feet wet and kind of getting a ranking so you're not starting from ground zero when you're done. And then uh, number two, and to me the most important actually, is like the lane, the level is very attainable. I think I had this grasp of people on TV and, you know, wow, she's done this, this, this. I can't compete at that. But the the top level of college tennis is very much um, overlapping some of the top levels of pro tennis, as you see now with some of the people coming out like Peyton Stearns and Emma Navarro. Like it's very attainable. And I think I, I had a big little cloud of doubt in my head at that time. And looking back, I think I would have believed in myself more. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely see so many examples today of players who are, you know, a year out of college. I mean, not just, you know, Emma Navarro, Peyton Stearns, but you look like you get Yulia Starbatseva from Old Dominion, who just won the 60K in Dallas. I mean, she's a year out from college. I mean, so many of these players having fantastic results. Um, So you're right that the proof is in. There are many other examples to to lean on and kind of carry that belief with you. 
You mentioned your career when you were making that transition. And I'm curious, at any point during your college career, did you consider eventually becoming a college coach? I I did towards the end of my career. And I think that was in largest part due to Brian Calbus, who now has a huge little coaching web uh, from, <laughs> from himself, just because he had the world's biggest impact on me when I was a player. I think I went through a lot of kind of off-court things during um, during college, and he helped me navigate that and helped me always find my way on court and kind of just fall in love with college tennis. And I think I wanted to leave that impact on others. So actually, I think I had one of my first phone call interviews when I was still a senior at UNC for a position, maybe in like March or April, actually, of, of my senior year in terms of coaching positions. So I started playing pro but I was fielding those interviews. I think I had some doubt and I think um, just kind of the the safety and the security and maybe needing a little break from tennis as well at that time. Um, yeah. My, my father had passed my senior year right in March. So it was just like a tough, turbulent time. Um, so yeah, I, I chose the coaching route and I, I, I don't like regret it. I, I learned so much from my time at Oklahoma state and love my time at Oklahoma state, but I definitely think for, for my pro tennis career, I maybe could have navigated it a little better. Yeah. Well, I was curious about that because you look at your senior season, I mean, you had so many seasons of success at North Carolina, but your senior season in particular, you're undefeated at the number one position, finished ITA senior player of the year. You were more than ready from the on-court you know, capabilities to go pro, it sounds like, both the combination of the off-court factors as well as that hesitance around, am I ready? How would I even make this transition? I think you might have also had some some nagging injuries at that point in time, made that kind of coaching career um, the right next step for you. We will all be in Stillwater in 2024 because that's where NCAAs are held. So I can't let this section go by without asking for some food recommendations uh in still in still water oh my goodness my, one of my favorites chris uh just told me shut down palomino so i've got to come up with more um nikki's greek restaurant tokyo pot um red rocks deli there's amazing bubble tea places cafe 88 a bunch of other ones golden dragon yeah, it's very underrated. The The buildings don't necessarily look the nicest on the outside of some of the places, but then once you get in, it's great. Top notch. The water is actually one of my favorite places. I go back to visit a good amount. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I have never been to Stillwater. I'm excited to go. It's one of the locations that I haven't been to. So I'll have to, we'll have to do something maybe closer to NCAAs and you can give kind of a, a better overview of what to expect yeah. in Stillwater. Um, PDF ready. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes, exactly. We can publish it on all the socials. So you, you did your coaching, you know, year at Oklahoma state. Um, you also spent a little bit of a pit stop as a volunteer assistant at North Carolina before kind of fully, you know, playing on the pro tour. And you had a lot of success in the years of 2019 through 2021. You're playing full-time on tour. As I mentioned, you reached WTA 25, you made the U.S. Open quarterfinals, Miami finals, and I think took a lot of people by surprise when you announced that you were joining Vanderbilt as an assistant coach. It was the same week you were also ranked uh, number 25 in the world. What kind of prompted that decision and what was the thought process behind that? Um, I have kind of a running quote in my life to make decisions in terms of 
like tennis, I think is, um, you don't quit when things aren't going well because everyone's a little upset and frazzled and down on themselves when things aren't going well. I think you quit when things are going really well and you're still not happy uh, with with the results of what you're doing. And I think um, I've probably used a million excuses in the book of injuries and you know travel and all this stuff and, and different things. But honestly, in, in the heart of hearts, I think at that time, I wasn't necessarily still happy with what I was doing. And I think, um, I wasn't enjoying it on a day to day. And I think for me, I, I always knew I was passionate about coaching and I wanted to get back into coaching. And I thought that a place like Vanderbilt was kind of, uh, once in a lifetime is, is a big phrase, but like coaching positions don't come around often. Uh, obviously with the addition of, of another coach, now it does a little bit more, but they, they don't come around often at good programs. Coaches stay for a long period of time. So I kind of took a risk on thinking, Hey, maybe this isn't going to open for, for many years down the road. And this is something I'm really interested in. My family's from Chattanooga, Tennessee. They live there, all of those things. So I, yeah, I took a little gamble on that and I was, I was just pretty satisfied with my career. I played all the grand slams. I played all the masters 1000s. I kind of played everything that I always wanted and I didn't have any huge dream of doing this or that. Um, my, my heart of hearts is like the passion for helping others. And, and that's where kind of coaching comes into play. That's really interesting. Would you say there was a certain point in that, you know, two to three year time when you were really playing pro full time that you had that moment of realization of, Hey, maybe I'm starting to achieve what I ever set out to achieve here. And that pull is pulling me back to coaching. Yeah. I actually think it was, um, after the Miami open finals, I, I remember like very vividly, uh, our coach was Sanjay at the time and he, um, kind of talked to Louisa and I basically like, you guys are right there giving us a pump up speech, right? Like a few more adjustments here and there, like two grand slams next year, two grand slams, you can win two grand slams. And he just kept saying it. And like, it was meant to be this huge pump up speech. And I think my doubles partner was very excited as well about it. And like, I knew if I was in the right place, I would be excited by it too. Like we just had our best result, um, probably of our career at that time. And I just kind of sat there and I was like, you don't really care if I do that, like, that sounds crazy, right? Like, I don't really care if I win a grand slam, like, but it's true. Like I, I was, I, I don't want to make it out. Like I was miserable. I was enjoying what I was doing, but it wasn't like I, I had this massive goal to achieve this, 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 it was more, I wanted to play all the tournaments. I wanted to give myself the experience of traveling the world. And I had done that for many years at that point. And I think I was just kind of at a point of realizing I was satisfied with what I had done. And I remember Wimbledon was when I um, started talking to Aliki and I uh, ultimately took the position, I think, before the tournament was was over there. Um, so, yeah, I think I mean, I think there's probably a moment in a lot of people's lives, whether that be you know playing some sport and then they ultimately decide to play tennis or whatever it is. And, you know, coaches are talking to them, you know, managers and their jobs are talking to them and they're like that that promotion or whatever that is, that doesn't sound appealing to me. I'm way interested in something else. So um, I can totally see how that would, that that would be an inflection point for you. Um, when you made that decision to go to Vanderbilt, were you set on this being a retirement from pro tennis? 
Um, not completely. And I don't know if I, if I still am, I, I have a protected ranking. I don't think I have any intention of, of playing full time, um, again, but I do think I would play for fun and enjoyment. And if I felt like my level was there. Um, so I think that's why it's been such a long also break from playing events for me is because my level is definitely <laughs> most certainly not there right now. So I, I have some stuff I want to get back, but that's also, um, you know, something I talked about with, with Brian and Tyler and they're, they're in support of me playing, um, some over summers and, you know, a little bit in the fall, if I so choose, um, if it works out with a team kind of environment. So yeah, I think, you know, you could see me back at a tournament. I think it expires next October. So my, my goal would be to maybe play something late this year or, um, maybe the summer of next year. Interesting. All right. We'll have to keep an eye out for that. Uh, I mean, certainly you have plenty of practice partners uh, in Chapel Hill to hit with and get that level back to where you want it to be. Um, In your two years at Vanderbilt, what was that experience like of being at, you know, coaching full time, you know, because it felt like previously, you know, whether it was Oklahoma State or North Carolina as the volunteer assistant, it maybe didn't feel that permanent where it felt like this was you were committing to Vanderbilt. Um, what were some of the learning experiences that you had uh, in those two years at Vandy? Yeah, I think I think the first fall was a bit hard in terms of transition for me. And I think Aliki was helpful uh, for me in that because she had also played on tour and transitioned out. I think it's hard for anyone, no matter what job you choose, kind of leaving a life you're used to really that's like centered around you, right? Like everything is very self-centered and you get everything kind of given to you and taken care of for you, I feel like. And now you're doing the one taking care of other people is a big transition. Um, so it was it was tough in terms of that. Um, and I also, honestly, I think I, I think I had great potential as a coach when I first started at Vandy, but I don't think I was necessarily a great coach when I first started at Vandy. Um, I I had a playing reputation and I obviously had experience at Oklahoma State, but I still felt like I wasn't necessarily the most well-versed coach in what to say and what to do and how to lead things. Um, So I think it was a learning year for me. And I think this last year, especially over the last semester, I kind of found my footing and my voice and um, learned a ton as a coach. And I think learning from Aliki Subanos is one of the best people to learn from. I think she's uh, one of the best coaches in the country. So it was a real honor to, to work with, um, the team and work for Aliki. Yeah. And so as you're developing your coaching style, your coaching philosophy coming into your own as a coach, that's similar timing to when this news comes out that, you know, schools can now pay for a third assistant. What was your reaction when you first heard that news? Yeah, I, I knew it was coming for a little bit. We had a little, um, you know, insider info from our compliance at Vandy pretty early into my second year. Um, so I knew it was coming. I think, um, I didn't know if it was a feasibility, just like in terms of, kind of making the switch and going from some like a position, I guess, where you're quote unquote, the main person to feeling maybe like you're taking a step down in some way. I think that's how people view it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think I had a lot of, you know, good talks with Brian over, over the semester in terms of like 
he wants my role to be equal. He wants it to be equal flooding. And that's how he always has been. Honestly, even when I was a volunteer, I felt like I had a massive voice at UNC. Um, so I think, yeah, just the more kind of talks we had and working out the logistics of it and all of those things, I think it became uh, more of a possibility. I think it was just a really hard choice because I, I did love my time at Bandy. Um, and so, yeah, it was just weighing the two. But I think UNC, I knew in a dream world was my index destination and coaching one day. So um, I kind of made the plunge a little maybe earlier than people expected. <laughs> yeah, well, it's so funny, because my follow up question would be, you know, oh, and when did you think that North Carolina could be a possibility, but you walked right into it pretty clear that the moment this news had come out, North Carolina was something you were considering as that potentially being an option. But I do want to follow up on that, because I think people look at your resume right now, and particularly given this past head head coaching cycle that we've seen nine head coaching roles open in the power five, how did you weigh the decision of, do I want to pursue a head coaching job right now, or maybe in the very near future versus taking the assistant role at North Carolina? Yeah, I think, um, I, yeah, I, at times I've thought about it. I had a few, um, head coaching positions reach out to me over actually the course of my first two years, even my first year at Bandy in terms of um, possibility and interviews and things like that. And at that time, I really felt like I still had a lot to learn. And I think I would still put myself a little bit in that boat. But it's also, um, I just I just don't have an ego when it comes to these things in terms of, of coaching. And like, I, I feel like, for me, um, the place where I will be happiest and I still feel like I can learn and I can grow and I can make in in weird ways, bigger impacts for me is, is in the role of an assistant. I think you develop a really personal relationship with the players. Um, I think UNC is giving me the flexibility to kind of do a little bit more outside of just UNC. So I've been doing the USDA coaching. I might do some of that in the fall. Um, I go to, tournaments with some of the doubles girls like professional events and do that so I feel like my network of kind of who I can help and um is a little bit bigger yeah so and you use the word dream so I, I will follow up on that as well is North Carolina the the dream role for you as far as you can see do you see yourself staying there um in you know as as long as they'll have you and is that a conversation that you have with coach Calbus when you're thinking about taking this role yeah, I think I think it was probably pretty pretty known just in me taking the role that that's my dream one day. Uh, when that comes, I I don't mind if that's the next cycle or two cycles from now or whatever it may be in terms of UNC. I I don't mind. I'm a very uh, loyal person to to people and places, and UNC gave me a lot, and I absolutely love the program, and I. Um, hope to stay here as long as possible. Um, so that's kind of my answer to that one. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I also hear that you're, of course, get, got a new place in Chapel Hill. I hear you have an exciting new roommate as well. <laughs> Legendary. How did you already hear that one? Yeah, Jamie Loeb is back in town as well. So that's exciting. She's. Uh, I was just with her last week in Dallas. Um, and she's a bit more in and out. So kind of the perfect roommate, right? You know, the one that uh, <laughs> is around when when you need them, but, you know, traveling a good amount. No, just kidding, Jamie. Love you. Um, but yeah, no, it's exciting. I, I really hope to like Chloe Bex. I know she's um, 
out of Durham and we'll do a lot of her stuff in Duke, but I know she'll do some stuff with Jamie now that she's transitioning fully professional. So it's, it's exciting for me because I, I like to bring players and friends and things and make it, you know, a little bit of a pro training grounds too. So hopefully that can happen as well in Chapel Hill. Yeah. Well, I think you and Jamie started that a little bit just because both of you were, I mean, you had some injuries. So you would spend time back in Chapel Hill. I know Jamie spent so much time there. I feel like it's already started to be a, a pro training ground for people to come back. It's so central now with the new facility. I'm sure that will draw a lot of people as well. You talked about the kind of uh, equal footing that this role will provide you. And that's what I want to use to transition to the third assistant more generally, because What's so curious to me is how schools will ultimately divide responsibility now that they have a third full-time assistant. So what I want to start with is you've both served uh, as a volunteer assistant and and as a full-time assistant. What does having a third paid assistant do for programs above and beyond what they could have had with a volunteer assistant? Um, I think it is huge now, especially in terms of recruiting. I think that's where it makes a big impact. Um, we had um, a volunteer, Chase Colton, for two years at Vandy who uh, overlapped with me one year. And I think he was also one of the best coaches I've gotten to know. But the problem was he was doing a ton of lessons and he was doing a ton of clinics and things um, in order to sustain the salary, right? So he couldn't do as much individual time with the girls. So it was left up to kind of the the two the two paid coaches for that type of stuff. So just I think in terms of the additional recruiting, I think in terms of um, individuals and being able to be like 100% completely devoted to the team um, without any of the outside stuff, unless it's, you know, just a little extra um, is is really going to be helpful to a lot of programs. I do think it is tricky because there are a lot of programs that can't afford to have a third coach. Um, I think there are other programs that can't afford maybe the amount, the same amounts, right, of, of payment. So they're do- looking at grad students or maybe like a little bit lower kind of threshold on that. So, yeah, it's, it's a little bit tricky in terms of that because it's um, maybe unevening some of the <laughs> demands on people and things like that. But that's honestly, sometimes college athletics in general, I would say. Yeah. Do you envision a world potentially where there might be one coach that is, hey, this person really focuses on everything on court, right? They're like a great on-court coach. And then you have another coach whose skills are pretty different and they're more recruiting, right? And they're spending a lot of time on the road. That feels like we're a little far away from having like such distinct roles, but could you see that evolve in that direction? And if so, how could you see the responsibility responsibilities differing between two assistants? Yeah, I mean, I do think, I think they everyone's always kind of had a little bit of distinct roles in terms of that, but I do think they're becoming more distinct um, in terms of now essentially, right? Like my my job description is laid out to me, right? The primary thing I am in charge of, I would say, is recruiting moving forward. Um, okay. So. So that's been something I I think I did a fairly good job at Vanderbilt uh, for the last class. And I think they're, they're going to lean on me a little bit for that. Not to say they're not going to participate in recruiting by any means, because it's very important to hear from kind of the head and associate head coach in terms of that. But 
Um, I know they're they're leaning on me a little bit more for that. So, uh, and I have the flexibility to travel, and I like to travel and things like that. So, I think that's going to make their life a little bit easier. So, I think there is that. I, I I would say I did a ton of the recruiting at Vanderbilt, but it was more kind of level, and we were both doing it. Um, so, so yeah, I think the roles are sharpening up a little bit. Um, I'm definitely the on court hitter. Uh, Brian and Ty. Brian and Ty still got it, but you know, I'm <laughs> I'm definitely probably the one going to be doing more of that type of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The the, the pinch hitter uh, for the UNC team. But I think you're right. I love the word you use about like sharpening the roles because it feel felt like for so long when schools were hiring an assistant, you had to be good at everything, a jack of all trades. And there might be something that you're really not that strong at. You're working on it, but here it feels like you can round out um, that that repertoire of coaching. And certainly this is a, um, you know, high, a high class for certain schools. Other schools might not be able to afford it, like you mentioned. And that's what I feel like we've seen this summer where because this all, you know, unlocked at a certain point this summer, July 1, I think, maybe June 1st, um, you know, we're seeing coaches, either head coaches at mid-majors or D2 or D3, you know, go to, you know, third assistant roles at power five. And I'm curious to get your thoughts. You might be a little biased from some of the schools that you've been at in the power five, but what do you think this is doing for, you know, mid-majors, non-power five schools? And do you think this is a temporary sort of inflection point that ultimately will smooth itself out over time? Yeah, I think, I think it's temporary in terms of like right now there's a ton of open positions, right? And then there will less <laughs> moving forward. So I think it, but I do think the moves will s- still happen, but I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. I almost view it as a good thing for those coaches that want to take the leap into the power five and actually are getting an opportunity to do so. Cause I think there's a lot of hesitancy to hire. Um, I, I don't want to refer to them in this way, but like, I think there's hesitancy in terms in general of people hiring assistants is a smaller name that might be a great coach. I think I got, frankly, maybe two jobs at Oklahoma State and Mandy that I wasn't prepared for as a coach because of my name as a player and kind of my what they thought I could bring. Right. Um, and I think there are a ton of great coaches around the country that haven't necessarily gotten those opportunities and they're getting their foot in the door and might get looks at bigger positions and higher up within power five. So I view it as a great opportunity for a ton of coaches. And I think there are so many great coaches looking to get into college tennis in general that I think those like smaller divisions and smaller schools, you know, people will fill those roles adequately. Yeah. Yeah. I hadn't really thought about, um, you know, the the coaches who maybe aren't getting a look today, but could take a third assistant role and improve you know, how good of a coach they are and start working their way up that way. I had also been thinking about potentially, you know, there's so many people who can't afford to be a volunteer assistant coach, maybe can't take that risk, right? And now if there are more paid positions, that's always a good thing. Or even if the existing paid positions at a mid-major now open up, you start to see more people who can take take those roles. So hopefully we start to see more diverse candidates um, across the college coaching ranks for players who maybe don't come in with um, the the coach, the playing resume um, that that you earned yourself over the career. So uh, really interesting time in college athletics and particularly college tennis now with the third assistant. I'm excited to see what you do with that role at North Carolina. I do want to close here with a few quick questions uh, down the home stretch. 
So who would you say was your biggest rival in college? Danielle Collins. Do you know your record in completed matches against Danielle? I think it was two and three, potentially, with the third, with the potential last one being I was up 40-15 in the third set. Okay, well, you oh. should talk to your sports information director because okay. North Carolina... Docked up for me, lined up, ready to No, I, I do. It's two and four, but <laughs> two and four, four is completed matches. So I'm saying that match where you were up 40-15, no credit. You know, you don't even no get to credit. like look like it was uh, going to be I a win. Know. I remember I was in the middle of my first and second serves. Um, <laughs> That's But yeah, interesting. I'm going to have brutal. to think about or I'm going to, you're going to keep me up at night. <laughs> yeah. Well, thankfully credit to the the SID. You can find all of those uh, on the website. So you, you know, you and Danielle played a lot of matches in college. You also played Jen Brady of UCLA at that time. Who did you think would have the better pro career? Great question. Um, I, I honestly, I actually probably thought Jennifer Brady um, because I knew her passions for playing pro tennis and her drive for doing it. Um, and I thought she had some really big weapons. So I think Jenny, which is funny actually, cause I think she beat me every time in doubles in college and I beat her every time in singles. And then we, we joked about it on tour for a while because she was the single superstar and I was doing all <laughs> right in doubles. <laughs> yeah. So much, uh, so much history that era. I feel like to your point earlier, when you all were coming out, there weren't as many of examples of players who had had success on the tour. And thankfully because of those kind of 2015, 2016 years, we're starting to see a lot more success. And certainly Danielle and, um, Jen Brady are, are two great examples of that both slam finalists. So, all right. Favorite dual match win as a player and then as a coach. Gosh. Um, as a player, we beat Stanford in the final four my freshman year. And I will always remember that moment. Jamie won the last two sets, 6-0, 6-0. And I just remember changing sides for the whole deciding set was pretty epic. Um, as a player, or I mean, as a coach, I would say, I think when we beat Ohio State my first year at um at Vandy to go to the round of 16 I think that was really exciting and cool uh special mention to when we beat NC State this past year <laughs> yeah both uh both epic matches Ohio State then got revenge on you all this year in the uh, in the round of 32 but yeah that I remember that one well all right three words to describe your coaching style fun um say passionate and evolving that's a really weird three three ones I wasn't prepared but yeah I'm kind of very um I'm I feel like I take a lot of feedback from my players and I feel like I also am not a set in stone person right like I I want to say my opinion and I want them to provide me with what they're hearing and what what they see for themselves so yeah on a follow-up to that, if you don't mind, you mentioned the feedback. How do you solicit feedback from players about you as a coach? I imagine there's a level of a power dynamic there that might make that uncomfortable for players. Yeah, I think it's um, an uncomfortable position for players to do, but I think the more you kind of invite it as right, like we're trying to get 
better as coaches as well, just as they're trying to get better as players. Like they want feedback for their games just as much. So as I'm kind of learning and growing as a coach, I want feedback on things I can do better. And I know I'm certainly not perfect. Um, and yeah, I think I got really good feedback this past year from, from the girls at Bandy that I took to heart and tried to get better at. And I think it will continue to help me grow. Yeah. I think feedback's always a two-way street. All right. Last two questions for you. UNC has a lot of momentum right now. They just opened a new facility, just won their first NCAA team championship. Other than your new roommate, Jamie Loeb, who is a former player that we would be surprised to find out blows up the group chat about UNC tennis? <laughs> um, I think Tessa Lyons is the mm. most consistent UNC Tar Heel supporter, actually. I don't know if that's a surprise, but she's definitely gets gets the number one prize for that one. Okay. Yeah. Well, we see her on Twitter, so not a super big surprise, but that makes sense. All right. Last question for you. What is a college tennis storyline that you think doesn't get enough coverage that we should discuss on a future episode? Let's see. You know, I'm going to go controversial take here. Please. I think, um, yeah, I think, and you might have already done this, and apologies if so, but I, I do think there is a big push right now uh, within administrations to hire female head coaches and more female coaches in general. And I think there is pushback from, from some coaches on that in terms of wanting to hire, quote unquote, best candidate for position versus female and all of that. And there's just an interesting dynamic Um in terms of that, a little bit controversial and a little bit uh, taboo, but I, I enjoy it and I love the the push for female hires. I think the the product will only continue to get better and and all those things. But yeah, I don't think controversial. I mean, we've talked about it a little bit. You know, I mentioned the this coaching cycle was very busy this year. There were nine power five head coaches, six went to men, three went to women. And I felt like that bucked a trend that we had seen over the past few years as it was starting to be a little bit more 50 50 i'll end there on that i do think that is a really great topic i'll one follow-up for you on this i just want to solicit your uh ideas if you have any i have noticed personally that recent and you know somewhat recent men's college players stay more involved in college tennis than i do on the see on the women's side is there anything that you think could be done or any recommendations you have to engage more of the former women's college tennis players? Yeah, I think just for me, I've noticed that the more alumni events and the more group chats and the more things we started like a mailer at UNC that I actually found was really helpful to, to do that. I think I have noticed that trend and we talk about it all the time and we don't fully understand why it's happening or <laughs> what's going on with it. But yeah, I think just kind of the more involvement and the more alumni events versus once a year having a bunch throughout the year and making it kind of more feasible for for mothers to leave their families to go for an event at this time versus this time versus this time, right? So just kind of a little bit more availability for that. And I think it becomes kind of one lumped weekend that not everyone can attend. Yeah, that is a good... Good thought. So Haley, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show, sharing more about your journey, opening up about what you have gone through, your thoughts on taking the role at North Carolina, as well as more generally, what's going on in college tennis. For those of us that have followed college tennis, both 
before Haley Carter days, after Haley Carter days. It only feels fitting that you are returning to Chapel Hill. So I'm wishing you the best of luck in this next chapter. Thank you so much. I appreciate it.